You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Someone explain to me what the point of having thousands of soldiers fencing, barbed wire, all these security precautions in D.C., turning it into a, an armed camp around the Capitol. What's the purpose of all that if we're going to shut down Congress? The United States Congress will say, sorry, we're too, we're too frightened right now. We're too under threat because of something that someone saw on the Internet. Law enforcement sensitive. That's what they're saying. Can't tell you what it is. I know what law enforcement sensitive means. It's whatever somebody who happens to work for a law enforcement agency decides to call it. There's really no specific classifying authority or anything else. And it can be very often open source stuff that just happens to catch the attention of individuals who may be looking for, oh, I don't know, a way to please their bosses who are saying, we got to find some threat reporting here because we've been told by the people who write the checks that that's what needs to happen. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a threat. I'm not saying there aren't QAnon crazies who have posted stuff on the Internet about how they're going to storm the Capitol again. Uh, But you're going to shut down Congress for this. Do we really think that this QAnon threat is going to result in a battalion sized engagement against thousands of National Guard around the Capitol? I mean, is that what we're supposed to believe? I just want to know. Why are they shutting this down? Why would they bend the knee to online lunatics in this way unless it's really not about security and safety and all that at all this is something that i see here i used to work in threat reporting and the national security side of things i was at the cia's counterterrorism center i was the nypd's intelligence division so i can tell you that if you want to find on any given day you want the ability to say oh there's a there's a threat remember during the Early days of Homeland Security. Oh, today we're, we're in an orange day. We're in, a, we're in a, a yellow day of threat. Maybe it's chartreuse. Maybe it's more like burgundy. Oh, I don't know. Does it go with my shoes? Remember all that? The color-coded threat days? And at that point, there were civil libertarians. There were people who were left of center who were willing to say, this is government overreach. This is madness. You can't have this. But now... The Democrat Party, the left, the ACLU, all of it, all of it on board for authoritarianism, on board for stamping out dissent, destroying the Republican Party, silencing opposing voices in our politics. It's necessary, you see, to defend our republic from the threat of QAnon. I've never even met somebody who believed in QAnon. Uh, Republicans have a 97, I believe, percent negative view of it thinking that it's nonsense and yet here we are being told and by the to get 97 percent of people aren't sure that you know stubbing their toe is a bad thing right so 97 percent is actually pretty high and we're shutting down the capital why are we doing this why are we shutting down congress right now how has this decision been made you know i just spoke to congressman devin nunes yesterday he's on the house intelligence committee is there Is there any threat reporting that has him worried? No. Why is it that only Democrat members of Congress are speaking to the press about this? Because it's about the optics. It's about making sure that they can continue with this narrative that D.C., that the Capitol, the the sacred sanctum of our democracy 
right? The United States Capitol building is under a constant threat from QAnon. And by QAnon, they really just mean Trump supporters. That's the that's the jump that all the CNN watchers, all the MSNBC viewers immediately make. New York Times readers, when 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 someone writes or says QAnon, what they hear is, oh, Trump people. And then they feel very justified with the continuation of the purge of conservative ideas, of conservatives from social media platforms, kicking them out of their jobs, having corporations uh, openly spit in their faces with these ridiculous statements of wokeness. Right. That's what's actually going on. But they think it's entirely justified. They have to perpetuate this exaggerated, this hysterical narrative about how the capital is under threat and at any moment it could just spill over and we might lose our democracy unless we have thousands of soldiers, unless we have a preparation for what looks like a foreign invasion in our nation's capital. It's so absurd. The people I know who are in D.C. and who are watching this play out just say it's, it's obvious that this is for theatrical purposes, that this is so that they can have you know, AP, AP photographers and, you know, Reuters journalists and CNN correspondents standing in front of the fenced in Capitol building. Any moment now, those Trump supporters, those Trump supporters are going to come after us. This is really a similar mentality to your neighbor who thinks that if you don't wear three masks when you're driving alone in your car, you don't take the virus seriously. This is a state of hysteria. I think we also have to remember that because of the panic porn purveyors, because of the way that we've all been made to feel so afraid of coronavirus and have accepted authoritarianism in America, almost uh, without question in many cities. I mean, it's the cities that have been the worst for this, and they've just gone along with whatever absurd Fauciism has been inflicted upon us. But you see this, it continues to play out, and you realize that the American people are emotionally, a lot of them, emotionally unwell right now. Uh, There is a mass psychosis that has descended on this country, along with a viral pandemic, and people are exploiting it. This is a time of near universal anxiety and often exaggerated fear, and there are cynical, ruthless selfish, power-mad people in the Democrat Party who want to use this to their advantage. They are trying to run the Obama administration playbook all over again, but this time, instead of a financial crisis, it's a viral crisis, right? It, it's a, an epidemiological challenge that we face, and that's the excuse for doing whatever they want to do. Remember, you either got on board with Obama's stimulus or you didn't care about workers you didn't care about people almost a trillion dollars spent didn't save the banks that had already been done but the obama administration knew that a crisis was a terrible thing to waste especially if you're an authoritarian who believes that your decision making that your right to govern is sacred although it doesn't come from god it comes from somewhere else the state itself because the state is in place of god for democrats as you know oh i know not all but The ones who run things, yes, it actually is. Nancy Pelosi is not an action. Nancy Pelosi is not a spiritual person. I can assure you that. And here we are being told that the Capitol has to be 
treated like it is under siege when really what you what you're recognizing here is that freedom is under siege in America right now. That the optics that they're creating are meant to infringe upon your rights, the the optics they're creating gives the excuse for further crackdowns, for treating political and policy disputes as though they're existential crises for the United States of America. This is how the Democrats come into office. They promised normalcy. Are you feeling any normalcy yet? Does this seem like things are going in the right direction? Do you think that they're actually doing the things that they promised during the election? I mean, so far, Biden as visibly declining Democrat figurehead who just shuffles around mumbling and signing whatever the activists and special interests put in front of him is working out exactly as predicted by people like me. This is what you get. They promise technocracy. They promise sound government that'll make things better for all people. And they come in and they focus on an open border, transgender athletes, climate change, catastrophism and controlling and micromanaging every aspect of your life. This is what they do with the power they've been given. Oh, and now they're passing a covid relief bill that they've stalled for months and months. You know, thousands and thousands of businesses have gone under forever. People's lives work ruined, gone. Families impoverished because Nancy Pelosi wanted things to work out in her favor politically. Didn't care about this. She wanted leverage. So they've delayed this. Here we are in March, and we're still wondering when will there be a coronavirus relief bill because this one is just a Democrat wish list bill that happens to throw in some COVID-19 relief so that they can make a claim that we all know is ridiculous, that the focus of this is about helping the American people from COVID, when the real focus of this is Democrats spending money on whatever the heck they want. But they don't want you to pay attention to that. You're not supposed to see that. You know what you're supposed to see? The barbed wire, the fences, the National Guard soldiers deployed around our nation's capital as a warning to anybody who would stand against them and say, are you with the insurrectionists? Be quiet. Take what you're given. We're in charge now. That's the normalcy that Biden is bringing to you. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Well, look, I think the actions of the new Democratic administration are unifying the Republican Party. We've had some internal uh, back and forth that has been widely uh, covered. But nothing has unified the Republican Party in both the House and the Senate faster than reacting to this new left-wing administration. So we're looking forward. We're not going to look backward. We're looking forward, dealing with the problems America has today, not the problems it had yesterday. And as I said, I have sensed in our conference, and I think in the House Republican Conference as well, a new sense of unity pulling together to oppose this left-wing administration. Nothing unites Republicans like the clownishness, fecklessness, and authoritarianism of the Democrat Party. These people are not better at governing. Democrats, Joe Biden, they're not smarter. They're not bringing us together. It's like the country's being run by the people writing the comment section on MSNBC, and it's working out exactly as we thought. Gas prices going up, employment, unemployment going up, people feeling shakier about the economy and about the future. And what does the activist left want? Dr. Seuss books getting banned. That's their focus. 
That's what they decide. Oh, I know you'd say, but Buck, they made the decision themselves. Yeah, because they realized that they were going to get got by the left. They were coming after them. So it's preemptive canceling. What could be better than that? That's the whole point. Censors only have to censor so much before they want you to start doing it yourself. That's what social media is all about. That's the reason that they keep banning people like me from pointing out how stupid these lockdowns are. Because if, if I get kicked off of social media, if I get suspended or demonetized or any number of things, which keeps happening to me, a lot of other people realize, well, I don't want to deal with that. I'll just go. I'll just toe the party line. I'll just say what I'm told. I'll do what I'm told. So they're making their decisions. This is the chilling effect on speech. We talk about having a society that upholds free speech. No, that speech is being chilled like it's all in an igloo somewhere on top of a glacier. It's freezing. But. This is where we are. This is the country that we're uh, we're dealing with right now, because unfortunately, the corporate media coupled with a pandemic was enough to convince people that somehow Joe Biden was a better steward of the economy or would be and would make better foreign policy decisions than his predecessor. And now we're all starting to see what that reality is. The good news is that the Democrats created a perception of something of someone with Joe Biden that that simply does not exist, does not exist. Uh, Joe Biden is is visibly in decline. We can all see it. The guy's too old for the job. I said it all along. I stand behind that. And the fact that he hasn't held the press conference in over 40 days. I thought this was going to be a transparent administration. I thought that they were going to have journalists that would ask hard questions. I mean, that's laughable. We all know that's laughable. But here we are. And what exactly have they done that makes the lives of the American people better? Having a, a crisis at the border? That's that's supposed to make us feel better? That's supposed to help us? I don't understand how anybody can view what's happened since Joe Biden has come into power and, and, and think that somehow this is good for the country. Even uh, Mitch McConnell himself is saying, look, the, the crisis at the border is of their creation. Play 14. The Secretary Mayorkas, the head of the Homeland Security, says there's no crisis at the border. <laughs> well, that's absolutely incorrect. And the crisis was created by the administration sending a message to desperate people who want to come here that just hang on, you'll get in sooner or later. And, of course, the Mexican government then will become less cooperative. One thing the previous administration did an excellent job of, by any objective standard, was border security. And all of that is being undone very quickly in this new administration. They own this crisis at the border. They created it, and they could stop it if they chose to. You know, there are illegal immigrants who are showing up at the border. I'm serious. This was just reported today. Wearing Biden let us in T-shirts. They know exactly what's going on. This isn't hard to figure out. And this is like being told that you, you can just show up with a with a winning lottery ticket. Now you got the Biden administration in. Why go through years of immigration law hassle and doing all these things and get your visa, get your green card, get. No, 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 no. Just show up, show up with a Biden let us in T-shirt. And the Democrats will recognize that this is a political advantage for them to have more and more people coming to the country who will owe their status in the U.S. to the Democrat Party and will also need 
more assistance on average from the state, from the government than other immigrants than other Americans will. So, of course, we understand who they're going to vote for in the aggregate, not all of them, but 75 to 90 percent of them. And that's why Democrats are all in favor of this. That's all this is. Do you think it really matters if Biden is a buffoon, if Biden doesn't govern well, if they can just create new Democrat voters at will by kicking the border wide open? You think that we're really going to win this? Look at the trends right now. You have social media shutting down conservatives. You have the biggest the biggest media companies and platforms in the world. Just the biggest companies really now in the world are woke. They are anti-conservative. And this is all happening at a time when the Democrats have full control, unified control, really, of the government. I know the Senate is technically split, but it's a de facto majority for the Democrats. And instead of trying to bring us together, instead of showing people that the Democrats will do a good job, I mean, I would be happy to show up here one day and say, wow, guys, this Democrat plan is really working out. I mean, look at how much it's helping the American people. Look at how this is really getting things going. Maybe we should, you know, take a page from their playbook and the next time around we'll try. It. I'd be happy to do that someday on something. Not a single thing could I say that about not one. Not one decision that Biden has made since coming into office that was opposed by Republicans, right? So, yes, getting people vaccinated, of course, this is a good idea. This was already happening. I mean, there are things that are going on with the government that are good. I'm not crazy. But not a single change with this administration from the previous administration on policy has been intelligent, has been good. There's nothing. What are they doing? So instead, they want to silence and shut you down. And then if they have to, they'll just make new voters. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope everybody's realized by now these masks make a difference. We are on the cusp of being able to fundamentally change the nature of this disease because of the way in which we're able to get vaccines in people's arms. We've been able to move that all the way up to the end of May to have enough for every American to get every adult American to get a shot. And the last thing, the last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. It still matters. I carry a card and I don't have it. I put it on my desk. As of last, as of yesterday, we had lost 511,874 Americans. We're going to lose thousands more. This will not occur. We'll not have everybody vaccinated until sometime in the summer. We have the vaccine to do it getting a shot in someone's arm and getting a second shot, you're going to take time. And it's critical, 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 critical that they follow the science. Wash your hands, hot water, do it frequently, wear a mask and stay socially distanced. And uh, I know you all know that. I wish the heck some of our elected officials knew it. So thank you very much. Yeah, follow the science. Yeah, the science. You know, the, the actual science in terms of the data, I don't like this term, the science, as though that is an argument. And they use this. They use the term and Biden does this all the time, has all along the science to mean listen to what I'm dictating to you as a policy matter or else. There's a difference between data and decision making, but they try to cloud this. They try to create a, a confusion between those two things. Right. I, I can look at data and say, hmm. There's a lot of other factors now that I have to consider before I make a decision about what to do as a result of it. Right. 
And this comes into play now when you have people that are already bringing up the possibility of masking up and social dis. I mean, social distancing isn't a policy. It just means human beings staying away from other human beings, which doesn't work in practice in America. People are around other people all the time. We, we have no way of actually separating people from people for over a year. It doesn't work as the numbers all across America show. And for people that are saying, well, what about this country? What about that country? Every country is different in terms of its age profile, obesity, comorbidities, previous exposure of the general population to coronaviruses that may be similar to this one. Every country is different. Our country, you see the numbers yourself. Do you think that the mitigation measures all worked? He's saying, oh, well, Joe Biden, I will say 50,000 lives, 50,000, not 48, 50,000 lives if we mask up. How, how do they come to that number? Oh, they do some modeling. They've got some people who are sitting at computers and throw some numbers in there. Uh, you know, the same way that they tell you what the temperature is going to be, the global average temperature will be in 50 years, which they will be wrong, guaranteed. And then they'll say, oh, but now we figured out why we're wrong. So the next 50 years will be critical. Same thing you're seeing over and over again. I, I see all this happening right now. And I got to tell you, it's uh, it's stunning to me, honestly, how long it's taken for people to realize what what a, a clown show it has been with the people in charge here making all these decisions, uh, these public health experts, public health officials, most people that work in a municipal public health fa uh, function are slightly more impressive than your average DMV employee. That's the truth. Slightly. I actually went to the DMV in New York recently. I got to say, lady was working with me, very polite, went pretty well. But these people have been making decisions that are having enormous impact on lives, and they're doing it, they say, because they're saving lives. Where is the evidence of that? Biden saying it's Neanderthal thinking to change some of our uh, change, some of our restrictions in different states. Do you think he'll apologize for that when, as I've said, we're going to come back to this in the middle of April? We're going to see did Texas's cases continue to just go in a straight line decline down? Because if mitigation measures in place at government mandate different than what you want to do yourself, if you want to wear two masks, you want to wear 10 masks, you want to stay home for the next six months, go for it. This was always a question not about what somebody should be able to do as an individual to protect themselves. That's that's up to you. That is an individual right. No, this was always about what all of us are made to do because of the excess anxiety and authoritarian tendency that's out there right now. This is about being forced to do things in the name of the defense of the collective health that have real world consequences for people destruction of businesses i mean how many of you would be willing to take pretty extreme risks to prevent your business or your job from going away your bank account from going to zero perhaps racking up 10 15 20 thousand dollars of credit card debt during this period that you won't be able to get out of i mean the financial ruination of lives is a real consequence it's it's, it's not just a little thing it's not about people just want to get a haircut remember that that's what that's the snide, dismissive garbage that the morons at CNN and other places were pushing out there to the public when we were saying, hold on, do these lockdowns really work? Is this really sensible? Why are we doing this? Why have we never done this before? 
Never in the history. You have to remember this because the gaslighting is constant on this stuff. Never before in the history of modern medicine. Okay, never before since we've even known about antibiotics. Have we done mass quarantine, which is what this is. This is mass quarantine or quasi quarantine, mass masking, all this stuff. never happened before. We've been through terrible flu seasons that killed tens of thousands of people. We've had, you know, this and no, 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 this never happened before. But it's so obvious. Don't you see? That's what they tell you now. Clearly, this is. Not only is it obvious we should do it for COVID, but now they're starting to say, you're just beginning to hear it. People popping up on TV. Maybe we should do this every winter. Maybe just sort of, you know, scale everything down, stay at home, mask up. I just, I wish to God that there, there had been a, a country that had decided that that was in a position to say, we're just not going to do any of this and we're going to track everything. I, I wish there was a state where this would have been the case too. Now, I know some of you are going to say Florida, um, or you're going to say Sweden, but there have been some restrictions, some some shutdowns in place in those con- in, in either Sweden, in the case of the country or, you know, Florida, you go to Miami, you got to wear masks when you go into restaurants. There's a different feeling about it. And people aren't acting like you're a, a mass murderer. If you walk in, you're breathing air like a, a person does. Uh, but it hasn't been entirely without these. I just wish we had a, a true control group because I think what you'd see is, by the way, I, I'm not. I'm not delusional. I don't think that the absence of mitigation measures would have been some kind of a panacea by any stretch. That's crazy. But I think it would have been basically what you've seen in places that did do extreme lockdowns. That's that's what the if you look at the data, honestly, in this country and try to get a real and accurate comparison, what you find is what Ron DeSantis is saying now openly, which is that lockdowns don't work. They'll never admit that. Do you think they'll ever tell you? Yeah, we had this unbelievable power grab we were telling you you couldn't go to church we were telling you to mask up or double mask cuomo was actually going on tv remember this governor cuomo new york saying if you don't mask you could kill somebody that's what he was saying you're you're like a murderer if you don't do what they say this was a mass hysteria and now we actually look at it and you find out hold on was any of this worthwhile did we need to do this Should individuals have just been left to make their own decisions and focus protection, which would have meant making sure that nursing homes received, you know, a a vast majority of the resources and and testing and, and everything else to try to prevent what has happened. What happened was this virus burned through nursing homes across the country. That's what actually happened. They they act like they got ahead of this, the measures, the public health. No, the virus ripped through nursing homes all across the country. 50%, roughly, 50% of deaths in America from COVID-19 in nursing homes. Does anyone think that that's the result of really excellent prevention? No. This virus just spread all across the country, tens of millions, perhaps now hundreds of millions of infections in total. And they act like we stopped it or we, we, listening to them was some kind of a game changer. Ah, Really? Yeah, this is this is the this is the world of of fantasy, unfortunately, that they live in. And it's why now they're they're fighting so much against a reopen that's a little bit earlier, because the places that reopen a little bit earlier, just like we saw last spring, will be the same as the places that are wear a mask, stay home, wash your hands, be the same. That doesn't mean there won't be cases and deaths or will, but 
what's the point of doing this stuff and suffering all the consequences of the lockdown if there's actually no real aggregate benefit? This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Two things, Brian. First, it obviously is not the type of thing that a president should be saying. But second, he kind of said it on the worst day he could have. Because the same day he said that, uh, in Texas, the Biden administration was releasing illegal immigrant illegal immigrants into our communities who had COVID. The Biden administration was spreading COVID in South Texas yesterday because of their lack of constraint of, of testing and, and uh, quarantining uh, people who'd come across the border illegally. The Biden administration uh, was exposing Texans to COVID. That is Neanderthal-type approach uh, to dealing uh, with the COVID situation. But more importantly, Brian, is this, uh, and that is with regard to masks, uh, the, the change in Texas really wasn't all that much different from where we were before for a couple of reasons. Uh, First, we are still uh, strongly advocating uh, that every Texan follow the best practice. Where we are today is completely different from where we were this time last year when Texans and Americans didn't know how to deal with this for an entire year. Texans have learned the best practice, and that is to wear a mask. And we still strongly recommend that people do wear a mask. Uh, I sense a little bit of a little bit of backpedaling here from Governor Abbott, which is uh, disconcerting, to say the least. This is what you've seen all along. You're a politician. You finally say that you're going to you're going to cease bending the knee to the madness. And the the crazy town just comes after you from all over the place. You're murdering people. All this stuff. This is what they say. This is what they do. And I've got to tell you, I'm (laughs) I'm I'm angry uh, because we're going to go back into this this period now where you have people that are are demanding. They're going to keep demanding that you do these things until they feel safe. This is the society we live in now. You know, it's, it's like we're all, we're all being turned into the kids that get sent to recess by mom and dad with you know, a helmet and knee pads and uh, making sure that you, know, you only have a hypoallergenic pillow with you at all times. I mean, this is what they're doing to this country because what are the real, what are the real benefits of, of what they've done so far? I mean, I'm talking about mandates, government action individuals so many people you know you know what they should do is is go back to the studies where they were finding that people most of the people i think it was last summer in july they found that 70 percent of new infections are people who claim to be masking up as required all the time they're still getting sick how how effective can we really think this is when you had you had mass mass compliance remember last april when the virus was at very high levels, you've had very few people really uh, in, in March and April who were wearing masks as a, a portion of the general population. And then we went through a period where it was all across the country, much more common, much higher compliance. And we still went into a winter with skyrocketing cases and hospitalizations and deaths. And I mean, I, I, they will. I know they will. They'll always argue that, well, it would have been so much worse if you hadn't had these policies in place. But. They're just—they're never going to admit it. I'm not going to—I'm not going to relent. I'm not going to stop. Um, but I think what, what people are seeing now, and I believe the market's beginning to react to this. The stock market, which is a weather vane of sorts of the economy, uh, I think the stock market's reacting to the fact that the Biden people—all they have to do is get out of the way 
and stop being idiots. And they really believe they're smarter. They really believe the conventional wisdom from the New York Times editorial page and, and CNN pundits pretending to be journalists. They think that that's actually a reflection of reality. I, I meant to get to this before. <clears throat> John Brennan, ex-CIA director, who's clearly a loon, uh, he said that he was embarrassed to be a white male recently. We talked about that. He's another one of these guys who is just perpetuating this myth. And, and it is a myth that now all of a sudden we have the adults in charge. Play 16. When I was President Obama's Homeland Security Advisor, I'd be talking to the Director of FBI, I'd be talking to the Secretary of Homeland Security, Capitol Police, the Sergeant at Arms in both houses to make sure that all of the, the preparations were in place. I don't believe that the White House did any of that in advance of January 6th. Now we have adults in the White House, and I think they're going to take this seriously. We have adults in the White House. This is the, this is the story. This is the the branding exercise that we're going to continue to go through. Um, what have they done so far that makes you think that that's true? They've handled the border crisis so well. That cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline. Did you ever hear Joe Biden say he was going to do that when he was running? I don't remember that. Day one, right away, got to get those those sanctimonious environmentalists with big checkbooks. You got to get them, you know, in, in Malibu and in Santa Monica Got to get them and, and, and the Bay Area of San Francisco sending money to Democrats. So do something that makes them feel like they're saving the planet, you know, while they order around the servants, tell them to, uh, you know, trim the hedges faster. That's that's who really runs the Democrat Party. The people that have that kind of mentality, that's who's actually in charge. The Pelosi's, if you will, of America. Um, but they continue to perpetuate the lie that this is this is now the administration run by adults who exactly who do you trust who do you think is a really sound thinker that joe biden has put into a, a place of authority i mean you have merrick garland as as the uh, attorney general when he's asked questions that are tough he just goes well i haven't really thought about that you know this is <laughs> this is the the great legal mind or that's a that's really just a complicated question right um, this is this is going to be quite a fight over the next two years because Trump psychologically damaged the Democrats so much that whatever common ground would have been easy to find with them in the past on certain issues, on some issues, has has largely receded or, or perhaps evaporated. It's just gone. Uh, this is a party that is really the Democrats. They put a, they, they put Biden forward so that they can get AOC ideas done. That's really the game here. And I think people are waking up to it. I think people are starting to understand that that's what's happening. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for our friend Kurt Schlichter to weigh in on all of this. He is a senior columnist at Town Hall. He's also a veteran of the United States military and an attorney. Mr. Schlichter, good to have you back. Be here. Hey, had a lot of fun at CPAC. I'm not telling. Yeah, no, CPAC was CPAC was good times. I think they should do it in Florida every year, personally. Tell me this, man. I do, too. What do you think about Congress shutting down because of unspecified Internet chatter about QAnon? While they have thousands of troops deployed, by the way, and fencing up and everything else. The, the only people talking about QAnon are uh, liberal media people. 
I mean, seriously, we just spent uh, we just spent uh, like four days surrounded by conservatives, often at close quarters, drinking. Did you hear anybody refer to Q in anything but like a joke? I mean, like even one part was there one person there going, no, man, Q's a real thing that exists. It, it's so freaking stupid. It's this weird fantasy uh, boogeyman that they've invented. And it's hysterical. And now they look. I'm for anything that keeps Congress from doing anything. Look, I mean, that's like, and, and if and if mythical uh, uh, capital letters are what it takes to keep Congress from uh, performing mischief, fine, that's cool. Uh, what isn't cool is turning Capitol Hill into a fortress and screwing with our soldiers. Did you know several soldiers apparently had to go get medical treatment because the food that they were getting was so substandard? And, of course, five miles away is the Pentagon. You'd, you'd think somebody there would do something about it, but then again, they're probably you know, planning intersectional operations. How is it possible? I mean, this I know, this is something that I, I saw the headlines of this as well. We got we got members of the United States military deployed at our cap yes. in our nation's capital at Capitol Hill, and they're being given like rotted, moldy food. I mean, I, I thought the Pentagon they can't get these guys some MREs. Like, what's going on? Look, the military is not no longer a serious organization. And I hate to say that. I mean, 30 years ago right now, I was in Desert Storm. Uh, it had just pretty much ended. The uh, uh, I was with Seven Corps, which was the greatest military formation in human history. And uh, I, I know what competence looks like. This is a joke. This was, I mean, they violate every basic rule of leadership. And the thing that galls me is it's not a secret. The generals are five miles away. They could be in their car over there unscrewing this in about 10 minutes, and they're not because they don't care because that's not the priority. The priority is all this intersectional baloney that has taken away from the real focus of the military, which would be uh, the ability to deter or defeat enemies. How, mu how much of there is that uh, how much of that is really going on right now with the intersectionality training and all this in, in the military? I mean, can you give us a sense of how and where that's actually happening? Uh, that's happening at, at, at every level. Um, and a lot of us veterans are getting a lot of feedback from people still in. They're like, Kurt, you don't know how bad this is. This is the entire focus. And the problem is you have, you know, career officers, 14, 15 years. Uh, they're, they're, they're looking to make the last few to retire. And suddenly they're faced with this nonsense. Look, soldiers do what the commanders check. And if the commanders are checking boxes, that's what they're going to do. That's what's going to happen. If intersectionality is the and all the you know all this nonsense is the most important thing, that's what the soldiers are going to do. And I, I, I think it's going to cost lives. And I, it doesn't make me happy to say it, but the, the the fallout I'm seeing is most of us vets are now not recommending people join the military. This is something, this this is heartbreaking to me. I spent 27 years in. I regret uh, not a second of it. I, I think it was a great experience. But I, right now, in good conscience, I don't know if I can tell a young person, you, you should join the military. I won't try and talk them out of it, at least not yet. But I, I'm, I, I don't think this is a place for somebody who is concerned about their own. I mean, have we reached own, the point uh, where, where even even branches like like the Marine Corps, the fabled Marine Corps, are they are they getting oh, yeah. toxic masculinity yeah. training in the classroom? I mean, yeah. is that stuff happening? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, there, there's, there's no safe space. The special forces guys are doing it. You know, when you have the special forces guys being briefed on, you know, extremists, um, that's, that's a major problem. And of course, when you say extremist, when you use these kind of nebulous terms, what you're really doing is the political enemies of the people in power. So, you know, the, the idea that there are tons of secret Nazis, you know, running around in our military is idiotic, but there are a lot of conservative folks. Those are the target. Nobody cares about the, like, one random dude who's got a swastika, uh, you know, on his, uh, uh, you know, uh, tattooed on his heel. That, that, that one lunatic is not the issue. The issue for them is getting rid of mainstream conservative patriotic Americans and replacing them by people who are in lockstep. And I think we will see the equivalent, they won't call it that, but the equivalent of political officers. And I, I mean, why not, you know, at, at every level. And That's that is not an exaggeration. That's what got Solzhenitsyn, political officer, when he was on the front fighting for, fighting for the Russian people. And they decided to send Solzhenitsyn into the gulag because of some letters that the political officer got word about. And that, that's all that's all it takes. It's actually one of the great uh, reminders in, in the hunt for uh, the hunt for Red October. You know, they they kill the political officer. Sean Connery kills a political officer in the movie at the very beginning. And, and everybody's, you know, like that's we get it because he's basically he's the equivalent of, of the political hall monitor. And I think that we're turning into a society right now where people are are increasingly encouraged to snitch on one another to to ruin careers, to ruin lives, to ruin reputations based upon constantly shifting political goalposts uh, that that the left makes up as they go along, too. I mean, that's the part of this that it's it's clear already. No one's actually safe from this. And, you know, this is why you have that guy, you know, for The Bachelor, who just got fired and now he's he's you know what I'm talking, I never watched the show, but, you know, whatever his name I'm is. I'm a big fan. Yeah. I mean, first of all, <laughs> the bachelor I've never understood because I understand the concept. You got a guy with 20 women fighting over him and they're all talking about That's your life. They're all talking about <laughs> they're all talking about soulmates. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, this is actually not you know, if I were a woman, I, w- I don't know. I don't understand that. But let's get back to Chris. Chris Harrison. I think his name <laughs> he's meeting with a. Uh, a, like a racial, I don't know, some kind of racial counselor. That was the story today. And this, this doesn't actually, this stuff never actually really works, right? You, you, you bend the knee, you beg forgiveness, and you're still destroyed. You're still canceled, and now you don't even have your dignity. That's the problem. Well, exactly. Uh, you know, if you're a submissive, you're always going to be a submissive. Gina Carano is more man than most men in this society because she just said, "The hell with you. I'm not going to give in." I just don't care, and I think we need a lot more of that. You know, these people are glass jaws, Buck. You punch them, and they fold. Gina Carana doesn't need the Mandalorian or whatever the hell that kid show is. Uh, she's a talent all on her own, and the rest of us need to do the same thing. I mean, look, but, but the funny thing is they usually go for the soft targets like Dr. Seuss, right? You know, Dr. Seuss was a damn communist sympathizer. I mean, he was just a hardcore leftist, and now they're uh, they're trashing him, and I'm I, I just think it's hilarious. But the point is, they will go for the soft targets. They go to they 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 go at uh, other New York Times people because they they can't fight, and the guys can't apologize enough. Uh, we need to be the rock. When somebody comes up to you, say you're racist, sexist, imperialist, you ought to just kind of lift a middle finger and laugh at them. Do some about it.
There's a, prescri- a prescription from, uh, from, from Colonel Kurt. Uh, go check out his latest at townhall.com. Mr. Kurt Schlichter, always a pleasure to have you on, sir. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at bucksexton.com. Certainly, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that that former President Trump is very, very popular among his constituencies, who who numbers in the tens of millions of people. That would have been an extraordinarily good opportunity to get a signal to the people who would clearly have listened to him the way they listened to him in many other ways. He has a great deal of influence. It was just unfortunately a lost opportunity because he could have gotten a lot of people who are hesitant about getting vaccinated, vaccinated. This is why we know Fauci. This is number reason number you know, 4,310 for how Fauci is a little hack, a little Democrat, and is very clearly doing the bidding of one political party, okay? A little bit of a, a little bit of a history lesson, recent history for Dr. Fauci. It was, in fact, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who in the summer and into the fall of 2020 were dabbling in anti-vax talking points and all under the under the claim that you can't really trust a vaccine with Donald Trump as president. Remember that? Oh, they would play this little game. Oh, we'll listen to scientists. But can you really trust a vaccine that Donald Trump as president was overseeing the development of, even though he wasn't he was just providing the logistics and funding and and government backstopping. It was big pharma companies that were doing the research. But I, I want everyone to remember this. Here's Fauci blaming Trump for vaccine hesitancy. And I, will, I would also note that vaccine hesitancy is is very high in this country among minorities who are generally more likely to be Biden voters than they are Trump voters in the aggregate. And yet Fauci will take a cheap shot here at Trump. He didn't convince his followers to to believe in the vaccine. Kamala and Joe. And I really think Kamala's name should start to go first. We, we should start to get used to that. It's only a matter of time before Kamala takes over. It's only a matter of time. But Kamala and Joe were the ones saying, you can't really trust this. You don't know what what Trump was willing to do to game this process. And and I think that they should be held to account for that. I know they won't be held to account, but I'm saying they should be. I'm saying what what's happened here is wrong. That uh, that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are effectively able to get away with this. Um, They were the ones that were sowing doubt in the minds of their voters. Anything to beat Trump. That was that was the mantra. That was the idea. We also have uh, we also have here Fauci doing the bidding of the teachers unions. Play clip four. There are, there are several reasons that it, it's complicated. It's just not easy, you know, open or shut. There are several issues. First of all, you want to make sure that the first and the most important thing is to guarantee the safety and the health of the children, of the teachers, and other people in the educational program. We've got to make sure that the schools have the resources to do the kinds of things they need to do, which would be making sure they have masks and PPE, making sure that the ventilation system can be improved to be able to diminish the likelihood that there'll be spread of infection. 
ventilation systems improved in schools? I mean, is, is this little tyrant out of his mind? Does he have any understanding of how long that would really take and how expensive that would be? Think about what he's saying here. It's not really safe for schools until they have improved ventilation systems. What does that even mean? They're going to put special filters in all the classrooms. I mean, think about this. They, they bring this up like it's, you know, not that big a deal. You know, it's something that's doable. It's amazing to hear somebody who's, a, who's supposed to be a, a public health official uh, say something that's just so obtuse. And you've got in this country a few million public school teachers. I mean, you've got just thousands and thousands and thousands of schools all across the country. You're gonna you're gonna change the ventilation systems. <clears throat> it's uh, it's amazing. It really is it's stunning. Um, but. He's got to create excuses. That's what he knows what he has to do. He understands who his masters are. Fauci gets it. The teachers unions want to strike a bargain here. They want they want they want more money and they want contract adjustments, which would allow them to have at least some degree of teach from home. We all get it. Teachers want want that flexibility and they want it going forward for as long as they want to do it. Think about that. Think, think about what, you know, you're basically in a position where you don't have to actually deal with kids, be around them, interact with them. You get to sit at home, speak into a computer, and and get your full pay and benefits. No more commuting. You can do it from probably anywhere, although I guess if you're a teacher, you probably have to technically live in the school district. I don't know how that works in different places. But of course they want this, and this is their opportunity. This is about benefits for adults. It's not about safety for kids. Fauci dances to the required tune every single time. Where's Fauci on outdoor masking? Somebody should somebody should really press this little tyrant on where is the science that shows where's the data? Forget this term science they throw out. Where's the data that shows that there is a serious risk of transmission of this disease from people being outside? Walk around the streets of New York City right now. 95% of the people you see alone on the street outside are masked up. 95%. You just walk around. I do it every day. I see it. But, oh, no, we're still still supposed to listen to the Fouch. Not surprising at all, I'm sure, for you to hear that he, he doesn't want us to pull back on the COVID measures. Play six. You know, my strong advice to them, Joe, would be to actually continue to implement the public health measures. Now is not the time to pull back. The good news is that we have vaccines coming online. You saw the curve of the infections per day coming down. But over the last seven days or so, we've reached a bit of a plateau where the deflection of the curve isn't going straight down the way it was. That's a bad sign. We've seen that before. We've seen that last summer when we were trying to so-called open up the economy and open up the country when we said there were certain guidelines that you should adhere to. And as you know, there was variable adherence to those guidelines. And then we had that really big surge that we don't want to repeat now. I mean, we were going in the right direction. Now's the time to keep the foot on the accelerator and not pull off because 
The thing that we don't want is yet again another surge. So I would advise the people of Texas and Mississippi to just abide by the public health measures that we talk about all the time. Uniform wearing of masks, physical distancing, avoiding congregate settings, particularly indoors, washing your hands frequently. We just have to keep doing that because we know it works. How do we know it works exactly? He didn't know it worked a year ago when he told you that masking it was silly. One year ago, almost to the day, I think it was March 8th. One year ago, masking for the public is silly. Now it's we know it works. Oh, it works so well in this country, hasn't it? We've seen nothing but an increase in mask usage over the last 12 months all across the country. It's just been going up and up and up and up. And notice it's so convenient whenever there's a a surge. It's because we didn't do what Fauci told us. That's why there was a surge. It's not the seasonality of the virus. It's not the natural progression of this thing through different communities. No, it's you weren't listening enough. If you think this guy wants to go back to being an obscure bureaucrat who, you know, pops up once or twice on a morning show to tell people to wash their hands during flu season, you're not paying attention. That much I can tell you. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And I think we at the CDC have been very clear that now is not the time to um, release all restrictions. Um, I do think that, as I said in my remarks, the next month or two is really pivotal in terms of how this pandemic goes as we scale up vaccination. We really do need to decrease the amount of virus uh, that is circulating um, as we're trying to vaccinate all the public. Um, I will also note that... um, you know, every individual has uh, is empowered to do the right thing here, regardless of um, what the, the states decide for personal health, for public health, for their health of their loved ones and communities. I would still encourage individuals to wear a mask, to uh, socially distance and to do the right thing to protect their own health. No one has a problem. I want to be very clear. No one has a problem with individuals taking taking actions, making making decisions to protect their own health. That's life. That's what you should be doing every day, right? It would be fun if I would just have four or five glasses of Mezcal, you know, whenever I've had a long day, but I realize that there's going to be a cost, so I, so I don't do that. We're all making our own decisions every day about how to stay healthy. You know, it would be even more fun if I could just find a lot of cookie dough to eat every night as a, as a little sweet treat. But, you know, I realize that long term, the health benefits of that are, are not good or that rather the health implications are not good. So we're all making decisions for our health all the time. That's a very, very basic principle. And and I, I have no issue at all, and nor should anyone with a person who wants to have, you know, tremendous caution in what they're willing to do, who's a person who's who's going to, uh, you know, look, if you want to mask up in your own car, that's fine. Just understand that that's not something you should expect other people to do and that there's really no basis for it. But if it makes you feel better, if it's like a security blanket, fine. But you notice that the the statist authoritarian Democrats, they want the force of the state telling you what you can and can't do here. They don't want that to go away. And and if you want a perfect example of, of exactly the kind of idiocy that is, is prevalent out there in the media. Do you all remember Beto? Beto O'Rourke was like, he was totally going to be the next like president. He was born for it. And he's like, what has he ever done? 
He's just, you know, a doctrinaire liberal who watches a lot of MSNBC and kind of like talks in this breathy, like 90s TV host fashion. And yeah. But you can listen to Beto, right? He's back, baby. Beto, also known as Robert O'Rourke. But let's call him Beto because he's like so multicultural. Here he is on what the how the GOP is a cult of death. Thirteen. I think it appeared to many of us to be a, a cult of personality, the Republican Party in the era of Trump. And, and that probably still holds true. It's hard to escape the conclusion that it's also a, a cult of, of death. Um, you have extraordinarily anti-democratic elements. I mean, look at the insurrection on, on January 6th for, for any proof. You have anti-government elements literally running the government of, of the state of Texas. And, and it almost, I use the phrase failed state, because I, I think when you can't guarantee the electricity, the heat, the running water, the, the public welfare and safety, you are about there by any classic definition. You, you have folks who, who are, are literally upending civilization as we know it and completely indifferent to the suffering it costs. 44,000 deaths alone just in the state of Texas. In El Paso, my home county, where I am right now, there are 280 bodies stacked up in a warehouse because there are not enough grave diggers and not enough graves to be dug to put them in the ground. They had to call in the National Guard to move the bodies. They had to set up 10 mobile morgues. And that's just in my city right now. It is 85% Mexican-American. They just don't care. And that indifference is killing people in my community and throughout the state of Texas. What a what a vicious, vile slander from this little moron. We, we don't care about the dead bodies. Really? That's what we're going to go with now? We've been doing it their way, meaning the Beto Fauci lockdowner way, for a year. And we've got all these dead bodies. We've got 500,000 people have died of COVID, 500,000 plus. But now that the virus is plummeting, and now that people are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, if you don't do exactly what they say when they say it, you're killing people, and you don't care about it. You're a cult of death. You know, you know who the cult of death is? The psychopaths who think that ripping a baby out of a mother's womb and chopping it up into little pieces is a right to choose. That's a cult of death. That's the central, central tenet of the Democrat Party today. In fact, one of the single clearest ways you separate out Democrat from Republican is, do you think that a baby is not really a baby when it is in the womb? It's very straightforward. That's all. That's all you have to know. That's all there has to be. And you know if somebody's a Democrat or a Republican. 99 times out of 100. Really higher than that, actually. But yes, the GOP's a cult of death because we want to just start living our lives. They can't stop. They could not stop this virus. They could not even control the virus, even though we did the things that they said would achieve that. And now it's our fault. And now that we're tired of this, now that we see the data, it doesn't work. Beto's whole line here of just like, don't, don't like give up because like we're going to save so many lives. It's, we've seen what happens. It's not, not, not true. It's not true. The only real way to do a lockdown is to have everybody stay at home and, and have full compliance for weeks, if not months on end. Not having essential workers go and do their things by the millions, not having people go into grocery stores in big box stores and all that. No. And that's what that's the way lockdown has been done in America. It's never really been a lockdown. That's the point. 
So all you do is change the areas, change the nodes of transmission, but the transmission kept going. So then you say, well, why are you, you know, why are you shutting down restaurants if 1% of transmissions occurring there, but you're not shutting down wherever the other 99% of transmissions happening, happening, right? They never really think through these things. They just, they like the power. They like the sanctimoniousness, the self-righteousness. Oh, I'm so great. I'm a double. Oh, here you go. Of course. You know who's a double masker now? Beto is a double masker. Play 12. But just because he's surrendered and given up to the virus doesn't mean that we have to. Uh, wearing a mask is still something that we can do. Double masking, as the CDC recommends, is even better. Keeping six-foot distance and then joining efforts like ours. We're in 17 different Texas cities this weekend. Our volunteers will be canvassing in the lowest income zip codes to register people for the vaccine to make sure that they get inoculated and we help to save more lives in the face of this absolute lack of leadership from our governor. You know what they should have done? Vaccinated people over 65 all across the country right away. That should have been the focus. You know what they did? All kinds of micromanagement and stupidity. Oh, we, we got 25 year old teachers getting vaccinated in New York City. I know some of them. Oh, yeah, because that's really important. It's just total clowns. The science was very clear on who should get vaccinated. It's people who are at high risk. But they abused this. You know, they, they wanted to, they used this as some kind of a, 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 a goodie to give out to their preferred constituencies, teachers, essential workers, whatever that means. You know, yeah, the, the elderly and healthcare workers who have to deal with COVID on the front line, that, that was very clear but they pretended like it wasn't. And so there were additional delays. So there were additional slowdowns. And people died because of those slowdowns. I think everybody should be aware of that. Should see what's actually happening here. Double mask. Well, did we just figure that out? Are we all so dumb that we're not allowed to question that they just figured out double masking? Because that's what needs to happen. Notice that Fauci, because people realized they lost faith in the mask god, so then Fauci had to come up with something else. So it's, oh, you know what? We need double mask. And then it was, has everyone forgotten that Dr. Osterholm went on? I played it for you here. Went on TV and said double masking is actually worse, guys, in practice. Theoretically, see, this is the thing. These people don't understand the difference between theoretical policy and usage and what actually happens. Theoretically, you know, mandating masks on an airplane may reduce the spread of an aerosolized virus in some capacity. In reality, if you're sitting next to somebody and they're pulling their mask down for 15 or 20 minutes at a time to eat and drink and do whatever else they're doing, does it really make a difference? Remember the early days when people touching the mask and the mask not being clean and that was that was all the, and they just they pretend like they didn't say these things. I'm sorry, they can try to gaslight me, but I know when I've been lied to and Fauci and the morons around him have lied to us countless times, countless times. Keep changing it, acting like they got it right, acting like they knew what they were doing. They're appalling, appalling. And now you'll notice there was a little bit of a glimpse of freedom and they got to shut it right down right away. You know, there's there's all of a sudden there's the hope that we're going to get through this. And it's no, how dare you? You're not allowed. You're not allowed to start thinking about having your life back. Not until we say so. Not until we say so. Can't pull back on the covid measures. I, th I think uh, we are doing that in some places. And it's going to be fine. As fine as it would be if we kept 
pretending like we're all doing this great job of stopping the virus. Clearly we're not because the things they told us that would work don't work the way they said they would. This is all about the percentages. It's all about risk. It's all about what's true in general or most true in general. There's no perfect answer here. We've abandoned all that. Our, our ability to think critically as a country has been called into question by this. We, we failed to think critically as a country. I, I think that much can be said with real clarity. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. China makes COVID-19 anal swabs mandatory for foreigners. I, when I first saw this on social media, I, I thought to myself, this, this, is, this has got to be a joke, right? They're kidding. They are not kidding. Reporting here from the New York Post, China has made anal COVID-19 swabs mandatory for all foreign travelers arriving in the country. The government has claimed that such tests provide a higher degree of accuracy than other screening methods. As part of the new travel requirement, there'll be testing hubs in Beijing and Shanghai, the outlet reported. Um, the, the anal swabs are, quote, better because virus traces stay in the, you know what, longer than they do in the nose or the throat. The move comes after Japan asked China to stop performing the exams on its citizens when they enter the country because the swabs cause mental <laughs> mental anguish. Yeah, they do. Some Japanese reported to our embassy in China that they received anal swab tests, which caused a great psychological pain. Producer Mark, I don't think the pain is necessarily just psychological, though. Yeah, that, that sounds physically painful. That doesn't sound like fun. I, I don't know. This is not good. I don't plan this on going to China anytime soon, anyway. But still. But this, this is this is kind of uh, this is kind of the, the future that we can all you know expect. We can all uh, assume this kind of thing will will be coming our way because there, there's no indignity if you're really a lockdowner. There's no indignity you shouldn't be willing to endure in order to save lives from the virus, right? So yeah, I mean, why why not? If if the science is clear on this. Why not have anal swabs for everybody, right? As far as Fa I'm sure somebody should ask Fauci about this. I'm sure he would he would be happy to swab up everybody. But this is also a reminder that China's China's coming out of this thing and they're 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 going to be looking to just make all kinds of gains on the Biden administration, which might be a shock to some some people. I mean, I, I've been asking this question, will Biden lead America from behind China? And I'm, this is not an I'm not making any anal swab jokes here. I'm just saying, will Biden lead America from behind China? Remember leading from behind under the Obama administration? That was the idea. And if you've been a, an avid CNN watcher for the past four years, you might wake up in cold sweats at the thought of Vladimir Putin overthrowing the U.S. government any minute. And we all knew it was absurd. And the corporate media's magnification of the Kremlin as America's greatest geopolitical foe was pure cynical politics. It was entirely justified in journalist minds, though, to undermine Trump's 2016 win and use it as a cudgel against him during his four years in office. Unfortunately, in that regard, it worked shockingly well. A special counsel investigation and a White House under siege with endless allegations about being Putin's puppet. The Russia collusion lie was a national media obsession, 
But as the great orange menace of Trump is now passed, at least for the time being, our media is waking up to some unpleasant realities of geopolitics. In the real world of super uh, superpower conflict, Russia is just a sideshow. We all know that. For the talk of Putin's machinations, he runs a country with a GDP under $2 trillion and about 140 million inhabitants that struggles to pay its bills when the price of oil drops. China. China. That's what we really have to worry about. And this has been true for decades. China is by far our biggest competitor economically and militarily, right? GDP, almost 15 trillion, over a billion people. China is the only real challenge to U.S. hegemony. And it's going to keep Joe Biden's hands very full of the foreign policy front. What we've seen so far, the Chinese Communist Party uh, is preparing to put out or put on rather a clinic of real politic for this Biden White House. Because whatever you think of Trump's foreign policy and the no new wars thing was pretty awesome. He was fundamentally correct about China. The Chinese Communist Party was getting away with all kinds of illicit and unfair trade practices at the expense of American workers and businesses. Despite the conventional wisdom about the need for free trade with China, Trump was right when he said that wasn't what was actually occurring. It was really a one-way trade war, and Trump decided to fight fire with fire. Okay? China also has the advantage of clear purpose. So while America, in the first months of this Biden administration, is determined to tear down its own history and go on a cancellation spree of Dr. Seuss books, China's expanding its influence in many of our most powerful institutions. Now it's all up to Joe Biden and his foreign policy team to sit across the global chessboard, so to speak, from China and outplay our greatest rival since the Soviet Union. It's not going to work out very well for us, I have to tell you. I don't think so. The communist leadership in Beijing sees Biden's ascension as an opening. Trump was responsible for awaking America from somnambulism about the real costs of China's predations. Biden has been famously wrong about every major foreign policy decision of the last four decades, and he may well lull us back to sleep. Xi Jinping has many cards to play with Biden's administration, and the poll to be anything but Trump on policy will be strong enough on its own. China, my friends, is ascendant, and Biden is going to be a useful idiot to that end. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We have COVID, we have recovery, we have rebuilding, we have a teetering New York City. We have a terrible financial picture. We have to do vaccines. Uh, So no, Um, uh, I'm going to do the job the people of the state elected me to do. Yes, that's right. Governor Cuomo is not going to resign. He will, politically speaking, live to fight another day. And this guy is adept at exactly what we've seen here. He understands how to manipulate public sentiment. He knows how the system works. He knows what he has to do to keep his position of power. And that's exactly what he's doing. Now, I keep coming back to this. I'm sorry, but for me that the media digs in so much on allegations of sexual harassment that didn't really involve any actual touching, according to Governor Cuomo, at least, and from all but one of the allegations here. I mean, he attempted to kiss. I don't know if that meant he actually put he actually put hands on one of his aides, but he's suggesting he never actually even touched anyone. 
and he never offered a quid pro quo. So what he did, while gross and wrong, isn't, say, in the same league as sending thousands of people back into nursing homes during a raging pandemic, resulting in what could have been hundreds of lives lost, if not more. That wasn't enough, though, to turn people against Cuomo. And and one of the reasons for that is that the media understands they were all complicit in that part of the story. They didn't want the truth to come out about what Cuomo did in the nursing homes. And that's why today he had to give his mea culpa, not about the nursing home situation, but about harassing female subordinates, which I will say, particularly among uh people in the press corps, that is a sin that they will not necessarily force him to pay the ultimate career price for, but they're at least going to make some noise about it now because Cuomo made it through the period of usefulness. He was necessary for defeating Donald Trump. There's Leticia James, the New York State Attorney General, waiting on stage right or stage left or whatever to take over, I think, if Cuomo were to fall from grace politically even more. But of course, he's not going to resign. I've never thought he was going to resign. And this is just another way of understanding that his political instincts, as much as he's a thug and a bully, his political instincts are keen. And that's how a guy, yes, who has the advantage of a last name and a family dynasty behind him, but he's been able to go through as many years, as many administrations as he has as many terms, three now, being an enormous bully and a jerk on top of it all, but still holding the highest executive office in the fourth biggest state in the country. That's a pretty remarkable feat when you think about it. But then again, you look across to our cousins on the West Coast in California, and they have none other than Gavin Newsom. Gruesome Newsom with his unbelievably slimy antics around lockdowns and the way he's been changing the narrative constantly. This guy is bad news. And that's why finally the people of California have decided they may be willing to recall him. But remember that they're not going to repudiate the policies. One of the problems with a recall mechanism like what they have in California is that everyone then focuses on the individual and not on the actions. Newsom is a pretty doctrinaire Democrat. He's not outside the mainstream for the Democrat Party. He's just a guy who's doing what Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer would want him to do. He's not some radical. But in California, they've finally started to see that Democrat policies are awful. And so what do they do? They say, well, it's not that the policies are bad, really. It's that the guy, in this case, Gavin Newsom, implementing them is a problem. And here in New York... Governor Cuomo, instead of saying, you know what, there could be somebody else, somebody better to come along to implement this. It's I'm necessary now. It's all about me. I have to do this job, don't you see? Without me, the people of New York will be lost. This guy really does have some kind of savior complex tied in with his tyrannical impulses. He was never going to resign. You'd have to drag Cuomo out of that office kicking and screaming. And he'd be yelling, you know, I control the state troopers the whole time. That's what he'd be saying. How dare you remove me from office? It's stunning that this is the best we can do in New York state politics. It's kind of disheartening, really. But 
at least there's some degree of truth coming out now. I think there's a lot more, and I think we'll actually be hearing more in the weeks ahead. That's also a possibility. Um, but I'm still shocked that the nursing home scandal isn't that isn't what may be doomed Cuomo's political career. And it's not doomed. He's going to he's going to stay in office and he may well run again and he might win. And what does that say about our politics? But then again, you look at Joe Biden. Here's a guy who was a loser time and time again. And Democrats even recognized that he was a loser. And then because they had an opportunity to present the Democrat Party as something other than what it really is. And that would work in a covid pandemic election year against Donald Trump. They just dusted off good old blue collar Joe and made it happen. With Governor Cuomo, there's a similar transaction feel in all of this. He's paid off all the special interest groups he needs to. He makes sure that the teachers unions are on his side. He makes sure that the apparatus of the Democratic Party is with them. And that's all that it really takes. It doesn't have to be competent, doesn't have to be good at the job. He's just got to be a one man patronage system for the incredibly corrupt machine politics of Albany, which, as we know, was supposed to get a little special investigation, the Moreland Commission. And Cuomo set it up because so many people realized what was going on in New York. And then he just shut it down. Why did he shut it down? Well, I remember speaking to somebody who was close to Cuomo during that period and was a, a very a very skilled lawyer, a very uh, brilliant attorney who told me that, yeah, it's because Cuomo realized that once an investigation like that gets enough teeth and gets going, it could actually find out stuff you don't want it to. And then you've got a problem. He liked the optics of it. He didn't like the reality of it. So he just shut it down. But as long as he makes sure that New York is supportive of uh, abortion on all of all nine months on uh, of a pregnancy and that the the woke left is mollified in whatever possible ways and the Democrat machinery keeps on running as is with the patronage system and the payoffs and the welfare and all the rest of it. As long as that keeps going, he figures he can stay in power and act like the jerk that he is. But keep in mind, he wants you to feel a tremendous amount of sympathy for him. That certainly came across today during the press conference. I feel awful about it. And frankly, I am embarrassed by it. And that's not easy to say. But that's the truth. Is it the truth? Do you believe it? Do you think that he's somebody who's saddened and upset because he realizes that he was transgressing, that he was crossing a line? Or do you think that this is just a talented performance from a guy who did, in fact, just get an Emmy last summer, as you remember, for his press conferences day in and day out about the covid pandemic? The media elevated him when it was useful for them, and now they turn on him when he no longer matters quite the same way. But they don't turn on him all the way. Notice how they're not going to continue to push on this story now that he's apologized. Now that he's come forward in this way, they'll say that that's enough. He's he's paid his debt, so to speak. He's he's done his penance. And now he can go back to being the dyed in the wool Democrat that we know he is delivering for the left, for progressives and continuing to run New York state into the ground, which is what has been happening not just over the last year, well before that, but certainly over the last year. That's why people are fleeing in larger and larger numbers. 
It's because Governor Cuomo is bad at his job, but he wants you to feel sorry for him. I, you know, I do give people second chances. I'm somebody who really believes in forgiveness and mercy and all that, but Cuomo's such a bully. It's really hard to think that this guy means a single word of it. I'm not buying it. I'm just telling you. I'm not buying the. Oh, I'm so sorry. I never meant to. I don't believe it. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Let's get a view from inside the Beltway right now as the swamp grows, gets murkier and muddier and wetter and just bad all around. Our friend Harlan Hill, he is the principal at the Logan Circle Group, he's a political consultant, buddy of mine down in D.C. Harlan, how are you doing, man? Great. It's good to be with you, but I uh, am a now a D.C. refugee in Florida for the time being. Oh, that's uh, right. You can't get any longer. You've become <laughs> another another one of those, another one of those guys <laughs> who's decided they're fleeing the blue state tyranny for the sunshine state. Oh, yes, sir. It's, it's, you have to join us at some point. Yeah, I, well, I got to tell you, man, these days the, the the siren call of Florida is getting louder all the time for for people, especially up in the uh, in the tri-state area. So mm-hmm. I, I want to ask, what are you what are you seeing right now with this uh, with this covid relief bill that's out there What the Democrats are trying to accomplish? Because to me, this is it, it's just all reminiscent of the Obama administration where it's we're going to do what we want to do as Democrats. We don't care what it does to the economy, really, as long as our special interests get paid off, as long as our identity politics groups feel like they're getting something out of this. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly right. I mean, the Biden administration came uh, into power with all these lofty promises of unity and bringing uh, the party together and working with Republicans. Uh, And now what we're seeing is that uh, they're going to cast all of that unity aside and uh, try to ram something through uh, without respect to, to, to their Republican colleagues and uh, the tens of millions of Republican voters that came out in, in 2020. And I, I think that's to their peril and to our benefit. How, how are you feeling this is going to play into the midterms? I mean, you're a guy, for everybody listening, who works on campaigns. I mean, actually gets yeah. gets paid to help Republicans win elected office, right? You're actually doing doing that yeah. job day in and day out. Yeah. Are you feeling yeah. like Republican opposition to this covid relief bill could translate into a red wave? I know it's a ways out, but this stuff moves fast. Well, I'm seeing two things play out. One, yes, uh, to answer your question, uh, I do think that this plays right into our hands and that there's growing sentiment against, uh, you know, these continued shutdowns uh, to the draconian measures coming out of the blue states and, and, and of Washington itself. But I have to add another wrinkle to that, which I think is incredibly important coming out of CPAC, which is that um, I, I, I'm seeing a lot of very mature and developed primary challenges of uh, incumbent Republicans, whether it's at the federal level or at the state level, um, to remove uh, Republicans that uh, primary voters consider to be inadequately conservative. You know, one of those people is someone like Mike DeWine, the current governor of Ohio. Uh, this is a guy that instituted curfews and, you know, basically any liberal state policy uh, vis-a-vis shutdowns and response to COVID um, he adopted. And, you know, he's a Republican. So uh, I think what we're going to see happen in the midterms is not just a wave in the general, um, a backlash against a lot of this, um, but also a backlash against Republicans that have kowtowed to the 
to, to the liberal orthodoxy and the media's line on on how to handle these shutdowns and, and, and COVID. So, uh, you know, th- this is something that we're going to start seeing play out in the next really year. So I mean, you're primary, seeing this. I mean, p- people talk about Republican unity, but you're yeah. you're feeling like it's going to be unity that is in part achieved through uh, getting rid of some of the dead weight with with primaries that go after people who are milk toast Romneyite conservatives or Republicans. Is that right? Oh, no, no question. I mean, that's playing out now. I mean, it, you know, I mean, part of that is uh, President Trump laid out in his CPAC speech uh, a long list of um, uh, Republican congressmen and women that he was going to support primary challenges against on the grounds of impeachment. Uh, but the list is going to grow far beyond those who were disloyal to Trump on impeachment and will, will include, um, you, you know, candidates that are insufficiently conservative. Uh, you know, we're looking at Liz Cheney. I mean, she's got a real problem. I actually firmly believe that um, she, that the center that came down from the state party in Wyoming well, was decisive. Uh, somebody like Anthony Gonzalez in Ohio 16, that guy's going to get rocked. President Trump's already already endorsed his challenger, Max Miller. Um, that's a that's a sure thing. I mean, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, President Trump performs a perfect sweep on all those primary challenges. Um, they're all extremely uh, vulnerable. Uh, Catalina Lauf is another one. I think she's got a good chance to mount a really credible race. She's hiring a lot of really good consultants this go around. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I mean, it, it, the, the problem with the MAGA movement and primarying uh, disloyal conservatives when Trump was in office was that it was always sort of half-baked. You know, they were hiring, in some cases, not the best staff, or, or the staff wasn't as mature. They didn't, uh, they didn't know, you know, how to run these campaigns. Now we have a much, much, much more mature movement. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then we also have the benefit of the fact that the president is out of office, able to go and raise a lot of money and mobilize millions of voters using the, the, the data and the infrastructure that he built in the in the campaign in 2020, which is unprecedented on the Republican side. We're speaking to principal of Logan Circle Group, but he's down in Florida, not in Logan Circle anymore. Our friend, <laughs> our friend Harlan Hill, he's a political consultant. And Harlan, you know, you were you were at CPAC. I was at CPAC. The president, uh, you know, brought the house down, so to speak, on on Sunday. And yeah. I just I have this concern and I know some people they don't want to hear negativity about about Trump running again. And, and I'm not negative about him running again. I want to make sure that if he runs again for president, he's got the right people around him, the right infrastructure, pushing the right mm-hmm. ideas. I worry that what we're going to get pushed into is he's the only option. And the people that were around him that failed in this last election, it was a failure. They did not win. Uh, will be the same people. What, what are, are you confident that I know we're at the early stages here, but it will matter for the midterms, and it matters quite honestly just for the Republican Party now day to day. Is is Trump, you know, is he, is he finally going to have the best people? You know, he promised to have the best people, and that wasn't true. Is he going to have some of the best people now? Well, I, I you know, I, I'm not sure whether President Trump is going to run for re-election again or not, but I do know that um, he is the de facto leader of the party at this point. I mean, there's a tremendous power vacuum on our side. I mean, just in that month where he was relatively quiet up until the CPAC speech, you know, there was there was very little direction within the party. No one stepped up to, to fill that 
to, to, to fill that vacuum. Um, and it seems now that he's going to do that. And I think that's probably the role that he plays. Um, he, he needs to continue to raise money to support these uh, primary challenges around the country, to put in loyalists, um, to build out the infrastructure that can support whoever the eventual candidate is, whether that's uh, President Trump or, or, or someone else. But he has uh, a, a great opportunity to be the kingmaker in the party um, and to bring the party together. There's got to be some cold. we got to cull the herd a little bit. You know, there are a lot of people that, that, that predate Trump, that predate this, this alignment within the party um, that don't really get it. They're not, they're not responsive to uh, their voters. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that there's got there's got to be some change in Washington. And I, I think he's going through that. Uh, I am confident that, you know, he's not necessarily I, I don't see him building out a presidential campaign right now. Um, I think that if he were to do that, um, he would announce it relatively soon. People forget that the president announced his reelection campaign on inauguration day in 2017. He wasted no time. Um, and I think that if he were confident in his interest in running for president again, that, um, you know, he, he would already start. Uh, based on history, I think he would already start that process now. Harlan Hill, everybody, political consultant, guy who actually knows how the, uh, the the sausage gets made in politics. Harlan, thanks so much, buddy. Always appreciate talking to you. Thanks, Buck. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Now, roll call. All right, I really, I really am gonna go. I'm gonna find this. I'm gonna. Find, I always say this every time, but I gotta stop. Just I'm gonna find this new roll call theme music because, like, the old. I mean, whatever happened to like dubstep roll call? You know, I, I like the old roll calls better, Mark. I'm just gonna uh, tell I'm you, sorry. buddy. I, I, mean, take it up I know you're not in charge of them, but the old roll call music was just cooler. We had some great stuff. So do we? Do we have the old ones? Why, why can't we just use the old ones? Because uh, we have a new voice. Ah. Okay, well, I'm going to send the new voice the old music, and he's going to get us the, because because this this stuff. I mean, it sounds like, uh, you know, I I don't know. It's it's it sounds like we're in a video game from the 1980s or something with this music. Well, what's wrong good. with that? I don't know. That's not really my. First of all, you weren't even born yet. All right, so let's come on. Wasn't that the birth of video games? That's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. All right, let's get into our uh, roll call here. We've got uh, all the latest from all you folks. Uh, across the across the country. Remember, go into a bucksexton.com to check on our stories there and also facebook.com slash bucksexton. You can send us a message there if you want to get in on that roll call action or team buck at iheartmedia.com if you would like to send us an email note. That's how we that's how we get down here. That's how we do things. And with that and with that we have producer Mark kicking us off here. Uh, with oh oh so oh so much stuff, producer Mark. You've got all you got all the things happening for us, and we appreciate it. I want to be very clear, especially when I'm stalling because I lost the note. There it is. Okay, here we go. Rachel, hello. I was hoping you could pass along some legitimate, unbiased sources of information on data uh, and data on any or all the vaccines. You've become the only person I agree with 100 of the time, and I'm honestly torn. I just want the facts because I have no desire to get it right now. The vaccine. I could go on forever about how you've helped me the past few months, but I'll just keep it simple. Thanks for uh, speaking truth and keeping me company while I get ready for work and on my commute. 
Even my boys, three years and ten months, now ride in silence and seem to be soothed by your voice. But maybe they're learning something. I share your name every chance I get. I only wish I had time to listen to every minute of every show. Thanks for being awesome. I know you're a busy man, but I'd appreciate some valid vaccine info. Shields high. Rachel, thank you so much. That's very kind. And uh, I really appreciate it. If you got some, you got a couple of young boys there, if they like the, the, uh, the vocal sounds of, uh, of Team Buck, that's great. It makes me very happy. And uh, let's get into the vaccines now. I, I will tell you, I have not been some I've not been deep diving into the vaccine data. Um, masks, lockdowns. Yes, I read about it all the time. I'm, I'm constantly compiling information on it, but I have not been going deep on the vaccine stuff. I can tell you this, that both of my parents have gotten the vaccine and or one of the vaccines and they're, they had basically no side effects and were fine. And they're both at the age where, you know, it's you're in higher risk category. So I would not let my own parents. I would have, you know, I would lay down in front of a train before I'd let my parents do anything that I thought was risky or dangerous to their health. So that that's the, the best I can tell you about how I feel about it is that my parents both got vaccinated and I am likely to get vaccinated, too, when the time comes, because then I really want to just hold the line against the insanity of continued lockdown and mitigation and all this other crap. So that's how I feel about it. As for the safety data and all the rest of it, you know, Alex Berenson, I really appreciate the work that he's done during the pandemic to say things and share things that have he's had immense pressure arrayed against him. But he he has been willing to stand up and say, hold on a second, what people are being told or, or this aspect of it, it's just not true. So he's also been doing a lot of work in, in on covid vaccines. You can follow him on Twitter, for example, and see what he's posting about vaccines. From what I've seen, it's it's very clear the vaccines for the average person. This is the CDC published data. The average person, the vaccines are both highly effective and highly safe. Uh, the questions that seem to be out there have to do that. The biggest question that I've seen, and I don't have an answer to it, and, and I don't really have a strong opinion on it because I just don't know. See, I tell you when I don't know something, unlike a lot of other people who like to pretend they know everything. I tell you when I don't know something, but it's whether the vaccine can be a an additional risk factor for pregnant women to miscarry, I think, is where there has been some question out there. And I don't know. Alex Berenson has done more research into that than I have. So you can see what he says on it. But it's very hard right now to get honest stuff about the uh, about the vaccines. It's, it's very difficult because if you if you question any aspect of it they will quickly put you in the anti-vax category even if you're not an anti-vaxxer so and these especially the uh pfizer and moderna vaccines these are these mrna vaccines this is a very new technology and from what i understand there are not a whole lot of folks who really understand it all that well even in the medical community so i think asking questions is completely uh, completely legitimate, and we should always ask questions about things like this. I'm sorry, Rachel, I don't have more in-depth information for you on it, but I will continue to look at it. But I've, as I've said, my parents got vaccinated. They have had no ill effects from, from it so far. And and from what I've read and from all the experts that I've talked to, 
including some who are very skeptical of masks as a highly effective mitigation measure. I know some MDs who feel that way, but they won't say so publicly because they don't want, you know, holy hell to fall down upon them. But they say, no, 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 the vaccines are safe. I, I would I'm getting it and I would get my family to get it, too. So I'm just telling you, that's what that's what I've been told about it. Rhiannon, I really enjoy listening to you trying to talk sports. Tell Bruce or Mark he needs to teach you football. Well, thanks, Rhiannon. I like when they take the the stick and they hit the puck into the goalpost, making sure that they uh, have the proper. I can't. I can't even think of all the sports terminology I'd have to throw in here. To I don't get it think all you wrong, even said any. No, no, I know, but. I yeah, look, I used to watch sports. I, I got to tell you, I'm just, I don't know. I, I got so little time for anything other than my my work these days. It's very hard for me to focus in on on any kind of sports stuff. But producer Mark loves the sports. So you've always got a voice in the sports world here on the show talking about the things that are going on. Although I, I did see, because it was big news for a while, that Tiger Woods flipped his car. I know it's not really a sports story, but he's one of the great sports figures of, of our lifetime. Um, Tiger Woods flipped his car number at times. He's in bad shape, right, producer Mark? He got messed up. Yeah, the la- latest report I see is that he will walk again, but they're really not sure if he'll ever be able to play golf again. And I actually just watched, they uh, did a documentary on him uh, on HBO a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, me and my wife watched it, and then this happened. Um, so it was really uh, interesting. He's had a lot of, he. I'm not a golf guy. I, I really don't like the sport, but watching that documentary showed me how dominant, how great he was, and to see him take, obviously, the scandals and everything, and now this, when he was finally coming back, he was finally getting back to form, it's just, uh, it's a terrible story to see him, you know, the, the best ever, one of the best athletes of all time. Is is he is he pretty much the undisputed best golfer of all time, or is that Jack Nicklaus? Um, I think, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but I believe numbers-wise, he's a couple masters behind Nicklaus, uh, but everyone okay. said he's uh, golf experts would say Tiger's the best of all time. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. I've I don't understand the appeal of golf at all, but I will tell you this: I know a lot of people listening this probably love golf, and I avoid playing it because I don't want to devote that much time to it. And I know I feel like if it clicks in my mind, it'll become a thing that I really, really want to do a lot, and it's time consuming and expensive. And I'll do it more later in life, perhaps. But for right now. I got too much that I got to focus on that that spending. I mean, playing 18 holes of golf, I think it takes three or four hours, right? It's a long yeah. thing. Yeah. I, 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 actually, I, I just. I said, when I if I ever move to Florida, I might have to take up golf. There's golf courses everywhere. Have you ever played? I played once. I was very bad. I would yeah, need I'm, like lessons I'm, and stuff. I've tried, a, I've tried a little bit. And, you know, I, I sort of take the happy Gilmore approach to golf where I just want to take the big stick and hit it as hard as I can. And it turns out there's a tremendous amount of focus and precision and all this sort of stuff that goes into it. And I just want to sort of, I sort of just want to club that golf ball like a baby seal. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I just, you just want to hit, hit the, I just, uh, the I just want to knock it out. You know? Just, yeah. Yeah. It's, but, I'm just kidding. I love baby seals. People don't freak out. You know, I love animals. God. I knew you wouldn't but, actually club a baby seal. That's yeah, never. I know. But you know, I don't want the PETA people out there. I love baby animals. I want a pet seal. Okay. And people think I'm weird. I, I really do want to. I, I, what I've realized is I have to start one of these animal rescue organizations because the huge benefit of that is that then, you know, anytime a bobcat gets uh, gets hit by a Prius somewhere and is kind of limping around, I'm, now I got a pet bobcat and I nurse it back to health. 
You see? You just want to live on like a wildlife reserve or a farm. Yeah, exactly. But I don't want it to have to I don't want it to have to be in some foreign country where they have bad internet, you know? I I'll, I'll do it here in America. Just buy a bunch of land in Florida. I'm sure you're allowed to do that there. Yeah, you know, actually Florida has very permissive wildlife rules, which is one of the reasons why that guy Doc whatever his name is from the Tiger King series was down in Florida. I forget his name. He was Doc something or other. I feel like Florida has become the place in America that you can basically do anything. It's the new Vegas. It uh, sounds, sounds like heaven to me. Sounds like heaven to me. So, And, you know, our, our, uh, our audience in, in Tampa on WFLA and our audience in Miami and the whole Miami Southeastern uh, Corridor on WIOD, uh, very robust as we've been added to those stations. So uh, folks realize that we love we love. Producer Mark and Buck, love them. Some Florida. Big fans. Big fans. Uh, let's see here. Scott. Hey, Buck. Uh, oh, no, wait. We got I got Scott. I'll come back to you. We got Terry first. If people want to be offended, they can find fault or examples everywhere. This whole thing about the symbols found at CPAC reminded me of when I was working at a boarding school in Maine and we hosted a soccer tournament. I drove some of the players from posing schools and one teenager spotted a stuffed black bear on a business's roof. One of the students was shocked and called it racist. He was dumbfounded when I informed him the University of Maine mascot was the black bear, which is native to New England. Silence for the rest of the ride. Well, that's quite a that's quite a story. Um, yeah, I mean, look, people can find racism everywhere. If you go and you read the report from the New York Times, I, I read some excerpts of it. I didn't read the whole thing. It's a very long report about their science reporter who got fired for you know, allegedly, you know, using a, a racial slur in the context of asking whether somebody else had used the racial slur. You go back and read the report and they they also accuse him these students who are from sixty thousand dollar a year boarding schools in the Northeast. For the most part, this is one of these trips that ki- that is set up and places like The New York Times, you know, they, they create these things. It's basically a, a cash grab for them because people pay all this money to have a New York Times journalist lead some trip for 18 year olds to, uh, you know, an eco sustainable village or something in Peru. And and then they put that on their on their college uh, applications. You know, so maybe they're 17, I guess some of them are 18. Their college applications for the following year. You know, that's what this is. It's one of these these resume padding things that rich kids do. And anyway, the rich kids on the trip, I believe none of the kids were black on the trip. So just start with that. But they were the ones that brought the complaint against this New York Times reporter who just got fired. But they also accused him of. Oh, gosh, I got I got to go back and check. And they accused him of absurd things. You know, they accused him of, of like demeaning someone's hometown. That was one of the complaints that they raised because he made some comment like, oh, Boston, that's a great town. You know, shame about your sports teams, though, or something. And they raised that as a complaint. I mean, the people on this trip, these kids are, remember we used to use the term snowflake all the time for very, very uh, uh, easily wounded and offended liberals, you know, people who are just, oh, they're always in a panic. That that Maybe we should bring that term back or we need another one because that's what was going on here. And this guy lost his job. He's been, and he, and he begged forgiveness and they didn't give it to him. So people, yes, people can find offense anywhere they want to and claiming victim status is actually a power play. Always remember that. 
You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, finishing up the show today with more roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Remember Instagram too, and I'm doing Instagram lives pretty much every day now. I've got different friends that are joining. Hopefully going to have uh, either Sean Parnell or Jesse Kelly join on Friday. And we tried Rob Smith last uh, a week or two ago, but we had a tech issue, but we'll have Rob Smith back. So I got all kinds of folks to be joining on Instagram live. So please do check it out. Um, And uh, let's get back into roll call. Scott. Hey, Buck, I was glad to hear you say on Tuesday's show that Trump of 2020 can't succeed in 2024. I supported him twice because he was the most conservative option, but he showed he is not a conservative. He never mentioned or acted in any way to promote limited government. He cannot discuss conservative principles coherently, as shown in the debates. Trump's best go-to is greatest or biggest, and that can't cut it. He needs to actually know something or stay out of the race. If he wants any chance of winning in 2024, he needs to spend 18 months learning our principles, and then he can contribute positively in the 2022 elections. Well, Scott, I think, first of all, I appreciate you writing in and, and that you're, you're sharing a perspective that I some of the audience will share with you. Most of them probably will disagree with you on a lot of that because... People view Trump as as um, it wasn't about his conservative philosophy. It was about his ability to fight the other side and to stand up against the the madness of the woke left. And on that, he did never bend the knee. And that's that's part of him that I, I find very compelling. But you're uh, when you say that, I say that Trump can't succeed in 2020. Yeah, I think that unless there are lessons learned and unless he has a change in personnel, uh, you know, you see what happened in this election. There were there were some shortcomings and the people around Trump know that. And we'll start to talk about that. But, you know, it's it's not a it's not a uh, a revenue enhancing move as a conservative, as a Republican in media or in politics to speak honestly about what happened in the last election. You know, the good, the bad and the ugly. And that needs to change. Because uh, we lost this last election, in part because, yes, all the election law changes and everything that happened, but it was happening and the Trump campaign wasn't doing anything about it and had months and months of that going on. So there, there are things we need to be very honest about. And, and I know that that's not always fun to hear as somebody who wants to see Trump succeed. And I do want to see Trump succeed if he runs again. I'm also not convinced he's going to run again. I think he's going to be important in the Republican Party. But I think that he's going to put forward someone else, probably from the Trump family, as his heir apparent. That's my belief right now. That could change. But that's what I see happening. That's going to be the show for today, everybody. Appreciate you being here. Please pass the buck. Tell somebody to go to BuckSexon.com. Listen to the Buck Sexton podcast. Shields high.